I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. The Outer Sanctum podcast is recorded on the lands of the people of the Kulin Nation. And we pay our respects to their elders past and present. Good plan, good plan. Who thought of this one? You're listening to the Outer Sanctum podcast. Here is a moment in time in the history of the AFL. Welcome to the Outer Sanctum for another week. My name's Nicole Hayes and I'm joined by my always fabulous and constantly glorious siblings in feminism and footy. I'm going to let them introduce themselves. Hi, I'm Julia Kiera. Hi, I'm Shelley Ware. I have to say it's been a while since the three of us have done a show together. Maybe never just just the three of us. Mm, we're raceless. <laughs> we're rudderless. <laughs> They've given us the keys to the kingdom. Let's try not to break anything. What have you been up to, Julia, of late? Yeah, I've been spending a bit of time at the beach. I, I finally uh, bit the bullet and uh, bought a wetsuit where I dislocated both shoulders getting in and out. I was in a change room. My son decided to uh, poke his little head underneath the cubicle with my phone taking photos of me and remarking of my naked form. So I've had a great weekend <laughs> <laughs> and I'm oh, feeling no. the pinch. Wetsuits oh, are so unforgiving, fantastic. aren't they? In every way, getting them on, getting them off, wearing them, like there's just no secrets. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a big fan of washing the wetsuit afterwards. Mm. That kills oh, me. I didn't even know that was a thing. Don't you just hose it all down? No. Nah. It's a big no. production in our house with two surfers. Oh, mm. gosh. Okay. No, that's not for me, that's for sure. Uh, Shelley, I've been seeing, noticing that you've been flying all over the country. Tell us a little bit about what you've been up to. I have been a busy bee and that's a little bit why I haven't been on. So I've missed everyone on the Outer Sanctum, all of our listeners and all of their wonderfulness. But I recently just went to Gama, uh, the Gama Festival in the Northern Territory, and it was just magnificent. And you might have seen on the television or the listened on the radio where the Prime Minister of Australia actually went to Gama and made a commitment to the Uluru Statement of the Heart and Voice for Aboriginal people in Parliament. So it was pretty significant, you know, to be the MC of the Key Forum at Gama and to be, you know, metres away from him and, and the promises that he'd made to our nation. And um, yeah, it was, it was pretty mind-blowing actually. And I felt the sincerity in his voice and in his heart. So he's a man on a mission and now we've got a lot of work to do. So really looking forward to that too. And all the specialness of Gama and celebrating culture and the Yungal people and how beautiful and welcoming they are. So, so much, so glorious and can't wait to go back next year. You'll have to come. Oh, I would love it. It was on all the news. I was just seeing so much incredible vision of these of cultural dancers. And then, as you say, the um, Prime Minister making pretty big promises that, um, yeah, we're all very hopeful he'll keep. But lucky you. Lucky them to have you though too. So apparently there's also been some footy on. Julia, your footy highlights, I'm seeing prison stripes in your sparkling eyes. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, well, I think I don't know who coined the phrase, but the first time I saw it, I think was from Steph Kiochi for flag pies. But it's a happening. It's a happening, and and unfortunately for everyone who's not a Collingwood supporter, footy is just more exciting. I think when when the magpies are up and about, especially in Melbourne, they won their eleventh game in a row. Which is just a shock. Which is just shocking. Mm-hmm. Who would have thunk it? Certainly, all the there's so many um, footy commentators that are eating their words and saying I I didn't even have them. You know, making the eight at the beginning mm. of the season. But on Friday night, they played the reigning premiers in Melbourne. I think everyone was thinking, okay, you, you've had your run, but now. <laughs> Now's the real test. But, of course, they, they rose to it again and that last quarter was was so exciting. As a neutral watching games like that where the, the lead is shifting back and forth and then Ash Johnson, whose last year is playing in Sturt and kicks four goals, ice cool, slotting them through. Uh, last week the, the team talked about having several teams that you could go for and, and maybe <laughs> maybe I'll just slot in the prison bars. Oh, I can't call them prison bars, can I, because the port pairs will get really annoyed. But um, maybe maybe I'll just have a little a little little wedge open for for the pies this year. Wow, is that like against the rules for Carlton supporters? Yeah, I was just saying, um, there's no way. It's I'm not that excited about it. I don't know what you're talking about, Julia. <laughs> <laughs> so what what grabbed your attention then, Shelley? Well, let's talk about Josh Kennedy. You know, like he's had 293 games and 723 career goals, and he's retired in style, hasn't he? You know, the Eagles couldn't quite get him the win, but it wasn't from lack of trying. And he kicked an amazing eight goals in his final game, and I was listening to it on the radio on the way back from Sydney, and it was just exciting. Like it was electrifying to listen to it, you know. Like the, And then at the end of the game where he was carried through in a guard of honour, you know, with both teams on either side. But what, what was so gorgeous was that he went and shook hands with every single Crows player to say, you know, thanks for this memorable send-off. And there was a lot of gratitude in that and I thought that was pretty special. And even in his post-interview, he was quite humble in saying, I think that, you know, the boys fed me the ball to get those eight goals. But, you know, it didn't sound like it and the team disagreed with him. But, you know, I thought it was a a fantastic way for a veteran to sign off. That was pretty much my highlight. I really, really enjoyed that. Eight goals is going to be a highlight. I mean, that's impressive in any situation. But after, what, 17 seasons or or something he's been playing, he's that player, I don't know about for you guys as Carlton supporters, but any time we were playing West Coast, he was that player whose name I just did not want to hear mentioned because (laughs) if he got the ball, we were in trouble. Like every single time he could just slice through, you know, a back line and he was just impossible to mark against. He's so strong. And his, I don't know what his actual accuracy stats are like, but it felt like he never missed. No, it's a real. Well, real I didn't like him. hearing his name either because every time his name came up, my husband said, "Oh, so we traded him." So you know that wasn't <laughs> much fun in my house either. No, oh, he's oh, the oh, most painful does. former blue there is, yeah. <laughs> especially in all those years uh, where Carlton couldn't kick any goals, and there was this premium goal kicker across the yeah. other side of the country that we could have held on to. That's, That's quite great. a statement because you guys have let go of some pearlers. <laughs> you really have. <laughs> All right, moving on, moving on, Nicole, moving on. (laughs) (laughs) Well, my highlight, I'm loving the fact that there's such a big fight for the top eight and, you know, the – as we, we've already mentioned, the top couple of spots are fairly solid. The cats look pretty much unstoppable and and the pies are breathing down their neck, but it's really from third down, everything's up for grabs and every match matters. So I do love that some of the clubs who are 
out of contention are still having an impact on finals. I can say that because my team is out of contention, so I don't care. <laughs> but so I have to go back to uh, go to the Hawks Gold Coast match, which it wasn't pretty. Uh, the Hawks barely made it over Gold Coast, but it did offer up a couple of big moments. Firstly, basically destroying, <laughs> ending Gold Coast aims for the finals this year. So there, there's that, which is not a small thing to do when you, you are considered a team that's really barely rating. But also it was the celebration of one of the quieter but no less delightful players in big boy Ben McAvoy's. Um, as he described it, he and Dylan Moore's 300th game. So he's 250th and Dylan Moore's 50th. And I just think that says so much about him. He's he's quite understated and he's got a really quiet, dry sense of humour, but he's a character on and off the field. I just think he's been a revelation as a captain. I was quite surprised when they named him at the time. It just He just didn't seem a standout, but I think he's just really delivered. And I love that we were able to win for him um, on his 250th, ugly though it was. I'll tell you what wasn't ugly, what hasn't been ugly, the Commonwealth Games. <laughs> nice. I like that. You like, my, like that segue? Mm, Julia, yeah. I believe you've been watching some of the netball. Yeah, I have. And it... it Look, I've got to say that watching the Commonwealth Games, the older you get, the more you realise this is an interesting uh, competition and sometimes it really feels like the Queen was surveying her empire and thought she'd set up (laughs) some little obstacle courses for all her little minions to battle against for her amusement. Um, And when you're younger, you just think that they're kind of a mini Olympics and then the older you get, you go, why why is America here? Why is it China? (laughs) Why why do we keep winning everything? Once you see, you can't unsee, Julia. No, you can't. No, you can't. But what what is enjoyable, I guess, is when you watch sports where, you know, rugby sevens or cricket, where really only the, the countries that are um, competing at the Commonwealth Games are the main countries in those sports anyway. So you feel like they're quite legitimate. And netball is another one of those. But I've got to say that we're recording this on a Monday evening and this morning Australia did win the gold medal against Jamaica. But there, I was feeling a bit treasonous, I've got to say, or, or <laughs> that I really wanted Jamaica to win. And I, I apologise to Ash Brazel. Uh, of Collingwood and the um, the Australian team of actively uh, hoping against her, her dream of gold. But there was something amazing about watching Jamaica come through that competition looking so strong. They beat Australia in the group stage. And, you know, there's, I think in the Olympics, Australia is often the underdogs in certain events. And it's uncomfortable to be the overdogs. Um, <laughs> it's it's it doesn't seem to be a natural natural way of things. So seeing us win so many things, you're like, oh no no no! I want I want a new story. I want a great story of of a of a team that's really fought their way into this final. So congratulations to Jamaica on having a great tournament, and maybe you'll go one better next time. <laughs> yeah, and a thousand goals. It's our thousandth gold medal in the Commonwealth Games. It was a special gold medal, Julia, Mm. for her queen and her minions. So you be (laughs) careful now. (laughs) Yeah, I have to say um, 1,000 gold medals is not a terrible thing, but um, I I also find I'm a little torn, a little conflicted about the Commonwealth Games, and I know the girls talked about it last week. You know, just watching this quite unfair, often lopsided competition that reflects the uneven distribution of wealth among participating countries and, yes, the celebration of a deeply problematic colonial history also, um, Mm. you know, irks me. Uh, But I feel like the organisers of the Games are actually 
kind of recognizing and embracing this and starting perhaps out of a cynical need to preserve their relevance. But for whatever reason, the Dame Louise Martin, who's the president of the Commonwealth Games Federation, has said the Games have been in an existential crisis for the past decade. And Prince Charles is beginning to speak openly about the Commonwealth's appalling history of slavery and colonization and the fallout that you know continued for generations. And it does seem to have opened the conversation about how the Games needs to make room for these debates and and the power of sport to be a vehicle for changing the way people think and addressing some of the wrongs of history. I love that the Commonwealth Games has allowed athletes to make political demonstrations which are banned in the Olympics. So um, athletes are on the dais are allowed to wave pride flags. They can raise their fists for racial equality. I mean, they're small things, but they're big enough. They have been significant issues in international competitions and have been banned in, you know, we've seen it in the tennis and, and other um, large international sporting events where it's been banned. So there's obviously power in those moments and seeing, you know, the Commonwealth Games this year has deliberately offered more women's medals events than men's, which is the first in history as well. And like, I just love how they've incorporated the Paris sports events all the way through the program interspersed with the able-bodied events. So, you know, and it seems the fans are loving it. Huge sales, increased audiences. I just think that this conversation is going to gain traction and grow and, and hopefully we'll see this in Victoria when it's our turn to host. It's funny because I haven't really been watching much of the Commonwealth Games and for the reason that you both touched on. One is because I have been excruciatingly busy in my life but the other is that I'm I'm not really wanting to watch the Commonwealth Games because I have spent the last three months preparing some curriculum for a new series coming out on SBS called The Australian Wars, which is based on the the colonisation and the invasion of Australia of the Commonwealth. And to be perfectly honest with you, to sit down and watch has been a little bit queasy in my stomach. So it hasn't (laughs) happened because I'm dealing with my trauma from what I'm watching through my daily day with the work Mm. that I'm doing and then thinking I I just don't feel comfortable celebrating at the moment. So I have let this games go while I work through that trauma, but I do encourage people when the Australian Wars comes out to make sure you tune into why I was struggling during this period to watch the Commonwealth Games. Well, hopefully, I mean, uh, that's a completely fair and reasonable response response but hopefully this is you know it will generate conversation it will generate debate and there'll be some real attempts to redress history um and all the the many wrongs and that'd be great to see you guys i feel like it's time that we have to roll up our proverbials and are you ready to melee (laughs) sure Sure am it has been a very big week for the adelaide football club probably for all the wrong reasons. Despite comfortably defeating the Eagles on Sunday, the talk has not been about football. As the fallout from recent revelations about the 2018 preseason camp continue, Eddie Betts' memoir detailed some shocking revelations about the treatment of players at the camp that he described as completely disrespectful, including, among others, the appropriation of Aboriginal cultural rights used by non-Indigenous camp instructors and without the appropriate consultation. These rights were used on Indigenous and non-Indigenous players alike. Psychological intimidation that included the brandishing of fake weapons as well as verbal abuse. And there are accusations that personal stories provided in confidence, some of them detailing trauma and pain from players' pasts, were used against them in front of the group. These claims were echoed by Josh Jenkins in a detailed account he delivered live to air on Friday on SEN. 
Jenkins described the camp as psychologically unsafe and harmful, and he outlined similar stories of personal information that was provided in confidence being exposed to the group and just the horror and the impact that had on some players. We'll just have a listen here to some of what Josh Jenkins had to say. Each player was scolded with abuse and physicality so that they would be physically and emotionally worn out. This is where I'm happy to try and explain why some rituals were confronting for some and nothing to see here for others. In my view, the boys who had a more quote-unquote normal or traditional upbringing without any real trauma or tragedy in their lives had very little to be poked and prodded about apart from general back and forth about them being needing to be a better teammate, player and person. Others, like me and Eddie and perhaps others, had experienced different things that were more raw when focused on, especially when we'd been assured, essentially promised, that nothing like this would be raised. I specifically asked for assurance pre-camp that nothing regarding my childhood would be raised or used on the camp to spur me on or to break me down. It is my belief that this promise was broken. More players are speaking up. Bryce Gibbs has acknowledged that he didn't support his teammates when he thinks he should have. At the time, the AFL and the Adelaide Football Club have both apologised to varying degrees to Eddie Betts for the trauma caused by the camp and different stakeholders have responded in different ways, which we'll come back to. Julia, it feels like, you know, someone with your welfare background, especially in a sporting organisation, feels like there are a lot of red flags along the way. What stands out to you? Yeah, well, listening to um, Eddie Betts and Josh Jenkins talk about it, it's it's shocking to hear some of the details and, and to think that in 2018, what was described that, that this strategy was going to work? <laughs> um, you know, so we have a team that, that's come off a losing grand final that they lose against Richmond, who, who at the same time has decided to bond their group together using models around um, vulnerability and love and care for one another. Um, and then they win a premiership and go on to win a couple more. Um, that this team that in the previous year had lost their coach in shocking circumstances, that they needed to toughen up and that they were mentally weak um, and that the way you would do that is you would, you know, physically break them down through these kind of physical tests and then you would shout abuse at them and, and tell them that they're going to be terrible fathers and men and in front of one another and you would share their private details and that this would toughen people up. It, it is absolutely shocking to think that that was a thought that someone had that was then executed um, by a bunch of people. And, and Josh Jenkins talks about the fact that the, the welfare um, staff member at the Adelaide um, Football Club and the doctor weren't included. Um, and he feels that they would have stopped it. And, and, and I would hope to think that they would. And to me, it just speaks to these really ill-conceived poor beliefs around toxic masculinity. Um, it, it, all the roads lead back to that. Um, and even in the ways that, you know, we have heard some sorts of apologies from certain bodies, some better than others. But to me, there's still this underlying seed of that, that underlying seed of why haven't these guys moved on yet? And again, it's this kind of toxic belief that real men actually don't worry about this kind of thing. Real men could have brushed it off. It would have been water off a duck's back. That's what stuck out to me is 
just how poorly conceived it is and it is founded in these terrible beliefs about what it is to make a man and that men are strong and invulnerable wherein we know that that's not true and it leads to terrible outcomes. It really does. Shelley, you wrote about this for the Koori Mail. As a proud Aboriginal woman and a teacher, I imagine these revelations must strike especially deep for you. Absolutely shocking. I think You know, like I knew that Eddie had been through a bit and the other Aboriginal boys had been through what they'd been through to a degree and, you know, we've got this amazing Black Telegraph that tells all of Aboriginal people, we call it the Black Telegraph, you know, it's our our little humour, but we get around each other and support each other in, in that aspect and that had been happening for a few years now and it was time for Eddie to share his story with everybody and, and you know, that's what he's chosen to do in a book and the way that he's chosen to do it. But back to what you said, Julia, I, I just think it shows how institutionalised we have made these players because mm. I can tell you now that if somebody spoke like that to my son, he would actually have gotten up and walked away, you know, mm. and I would have expected the way that you're raising your boy to that he would get up and go, hey, 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 back off, don't get to speak to me. But we have institutionalised these kids into thinking that they have to do absolutely everything that they're told and they sat there through that and didn't have the power within themselves to stand up. And that's been taken away by the institutionalisation of them, but also that they had to keep it a secret, you know. Mm. And what I can't believe is that the AFL community, in whatever form of who thought this secret was going to stay down, believed it. They believed mm-hmm. that in all of their lives they were never going to explode and have the need to say what actually happened in this camp to them and how they were actually feeling. Because if we just push down, like you said, push down these emotions, they have a way of coming out and it's not always going to be rosy for one, the person that has pushed them down or the person that has enabled them or actually insisted on the information being pushed down. And then to hear people come out and say, oh, should have gotten over that, you know, Mm. like. No, they shouldn't have. Just what? Just because you did? Mm. That that makes it like that's okay, you know? Everybody deals with trauma and emotions very differently. And this one fits all approach that we have within the AFL. I mean, seriously, when are people gonna wake up in this space and realise something bad has happened? We've made a poor judgment here, or you know, this person felt this way but others didn't. When are they gonna deal with it in the moment? Mm. Instead of Years later saying, oh, here's a, here's a report that we just found on our desk from so many years ago. Oh, oh, look over here. Let's make a club statement that makes everything okay. You know what? It doesn't make everything okay because I've watched Eddie over the years standing over smoking ceremonies, trying to smoke out the bad from that camp. And it just hasn't worked till he had to use his voice and speak up. So yeah, shit job, shit job all round. Put it on a t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'd say there's a lot of demand for those T-shirts. <laughs> I think the culture of secrecy around clubs is one of those things that has kind of gone on challenge for so long. And, you know, there is an aspect of keeping the game plan quiet and making sure nobody knows your strategies and that's probably practical. But yeah. I think the minute the secrets that you're asking players to keep from each other to not discuss things, excluding welfare, excluding the medical officers. And it seems, I mean, there are so many aspects to these reports that are distressing. So many moments when the process could have been and should have been stopped, but it's been four years, right? More than four years. And and the responses following have been especially troubling, some of them in particular. And while there have been some apologies by Adelaide and the AFL and Dom Pike, among others, most of the people 
you know, involved in the decision to run this camp have since left Adelaide. So that's also quite a significant result. The one standout for me is football director then and now, it's Mark Rusciuto. This was his response to Eddie's concerns. Player welfare is is always number one, no matter what's going on. You always want everyone to be happy and all that. So it's very sad that uh, Eddie's written that. And I think the club's been on record at times to say that they acknowledge that it wasn't handled perfectly. Hmm. Uh, it had all good intentions, but it, it didn't go perfectly. They So they've acknowledged that. But So it's sad to say, um, and, you know, uh, we all love Eddie and, and hopefully Eddie's uh, getting over that. Um, and, you know, that was four years ago. Certainly the club's moved on from that and uh, looking towards the future and have made uh, a lot of ground since back then. So, yep, it's come up in Eddie's book and that's fair enough. And uh, as I said, um, hopefully Eddie's moving on as well and, you know, the club can move on and uh, do bigger and better things. I'm at a loss as to how... He feels that's an appropriate response to the very specific trauma bets and his teammates have described. I feel like it's a fundamental understanding of humanity that if somebody has expressed expressed trauma and pain to you, that the very last thing you should ever say to them is to move on. It, I just think that language demonstrates the the way that Eddie and Eddie Betts and Obviously, other players' concerns, their pain, their trauma has been dismissed or minimised by the club. If that's the, you know, four years later with all the hindsight and retrospection and reflection that that should have allowed, if that's still the response, it doesn't speak well of it. The fact that it's coming from someone who is a leader of the program or at least a supporter of the program and a defender of the program at the time and in the years since, I think it's unacceptable. And I don't see how Adelaide can truly move on from here while this attitude and these same people continue in leadership. I feel like Mark Rusciuto's position is untenable and I don't think that we can get real resolution and move on in the way that he thinks that they should while he's still in that role. The AFL at the time concluded that there were failings in the manner in which the football club identified, implemented and managed the pre-season program, according to their statement. However, it was ultimately determined there was no violation of industry rules. It feels like if the AFL still believes that no rules are broken there, then there's something really wrong with the system and the rules themselves. But this is there's more to come. And it's a constantly changing situation. More players are speaking out. There's talk of a lawsuit and the AFLPA is looking to investigate once again. So it's a long way from over, but it's especially a long way from over for the players who have been hurt in the process. Without being a turd polisher, (laughs) um, a silver lining to a really awful situation, I think, is that I've listened to a lot of the media around this from um, male commentators and, and people around football and it's actually been heartwarming to hear how thoughtful they have spoken about this situation, how they've acknowledged that this isn't the way that you make good people, that this isn't toughening up, you know, men isn't in this way, isn't appropriate. There's been so much reflection from so many different guys in in footy media where I feel like they haven't needed to be convinced that this was a bad idea. Um, 
I know that 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 might sound like a silly thing to say, but I I found it quite heartening to hear men in 2022 talk about trauma and their understandings of it, um, and seeing how this this was poor and that they wouldn't do it and and they don't agree with it. And I think that it's hopefully a reflection of of the time and that people are getting better at understanding these sorts of things. And men in football are, and that's a positive for me. Me too. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. I'm Julia Gillard and you're listening to The Outer Sanctum. The ever-brilliant Rana caught up with eSafety Commissioner Julie Inman-Grant to talk about how her work is impacting footy. I am here with eSafety Commissioner Julie Inman-Grant. Welcome to The Outer Sanctum. Thank you for having me, Rana. You've just announced a new partnership with the AFL to address issues of online safety. But before we go into that, I wanted to ask you, what does an e-safety commissioner do? Well, I'm often referred to as like the um, poacher turned gamekeeper. I worked in the technology sector for 22 years at places like Microsoft, Twitter, and Adobe. And uh, I started working at the intersection of social justice, technology, and policy back in the early 1990s before there was an internet. So I'd always been interested in online safety and how platforms could be weaponized. And I tried to change things from the inside. Um, I, I consider myself an agitator to encourage the technology companies I was working for to do better in terms of looking after people and the personal harms that technology can bring. I was frustrated over those two decades in terms of seeing that the companies would would really invest in security and privacy, but not to the same degree around um, personal online harms that are created through online interaction. And I saw very strong evidence that it was women and people from at-risk and marginalized communities that were being disproportionately targeting and suffering and how prejudice, racism, misogyny, and all of these societal ills sort of surfaced by social media and then amplified. But then you've got this weird phenomenon where you're, you can provide a certain degree of anonymity or pseudonymity to people. So people are abusing others with relative impunity and really entrenching gender and racial inequality. So when the opportunity came up for uh, to become the e-safety commissioner, my role is to, is to be the educator and coordinator of online safety education so that we can provide um, those skills and those strategies and those tools and advice to people, but also the regulator of big tech for online harms. And then we're trying to push the industry to basically do more, take on more responsibility, be more transparent and more accountable. And we do that through something called safety by design, but we also have some new powers around industry codes and uh, basic online safety expectations. What we're focused on here is the education, awareness, and prevention side of things. Given that then, what does it mean to partner with a big brand like the AFL? The kernel of an idea came from Tanya Hosh, who is the AFL's Director of Inclusion and Diversity. In late 2019, one, they needed 
sort of help with what they call online vilification and understanding the powers that we had and that we needed to help with adult cyber abuse. I mean, she was seen firsthand whenever there was an indigenous round. There was always online abuse, but that abuse just spiked. And it wasn't just impacting the players, but it was impacting their families, the team, the club, the game, and, you know, ultimately the fans. So all these all these things started to come together and I thought, yeah, well, not only do we have the education and materials, but we've got the investigations and the reporting cues, but what we really need to do is to get out to a much broader swath of Australians and what unites Australians more than sport. You know, we're, we're teaching kids um, through Auskick how to have civility and be a good sport uh, on the field. I think sometimes we're trying to help coaches and parents on the sidelines make sure that they're being constructive. Now that the game went totally online with the mm. pandemic, but it will probably be, you know, engaging with fans in a more hybrid way, the way that we're we're being educated in hybrid ways and we're working in hybrid ways. So that online etiquette piece and being civil and actually helping fans understand that when they target a particular player who may be dealing with daily misogyny or daily racism, that you're just, you're amplifying that Im- impact on these, you know, these athletes. It says here that part of the MOU is training for clubs. What else is part of the partnership? Well, part of it was also around how we work with their online vilification teams, how we work with the clubs and the sports, making sure that we're following the right protocols and they know how to report or escalate reports up to us. So we're a very small organization. Um, We started five and a half years ago with about 35 people. I now have about 43 investigators, but those cover all Australians, all 26 million Australians, and we're, we're a little over 200 people. So I also need to make sure that because our investigators are covering everyone, we're not giving athletes special treatment, but we also are recognizing that when something happens that's in the public eye, when there's you know visible online abuse, whether it's image-based abuse um, mm. or it's online harassment and abuse or racial vilification, we don't want that to become normalized. We want people to know that it isn't okay, that it causes harm, and that there is a regulator that is here to take down that content, to respond, but to also um, punish perpetrators and platforms if they're enabling it to happen. As you said, this partnership is empowering players and fans and broader communities. What are some of the strategies that you're advising? Well, we started um, with just coming up with a set of principles around um, how you play it safe and fair online. Frankly, using lots of sporting analogies. You know, I often (laughs) say, you know, you, you, you do have security guards in the stands that will mm. take people down and take them away. But we've sort of found that the Internet is the cheapest seats in the house. Mm. And we haven't had mechanisms for working with the AFL, the clubs and the sporting teams to capture that and work together to really target those players. Now, the AFL has their own, um, you know, really developed online vilification team and they're doing some great work. But they like like all of us will have limitations in terms of what they can do. So working together, we're really serving to tighten the net. There's a lot that we're doing around um, education. We're using a lot of the players that have been affected, talking to their fans about the impact that it has on them. If we can just get people to stop and think about 
how their actions, even in the heat of the moment or the heat of the game, um, is actually causing harm to the players, damage to the fans and to the game and undermining the enjoyment of the fans. The hope is they'll take a step back. There's a, a known condition called the disinhibition effect. So when we're keyboard warriors um, and we're not seeing the impact, that mm. this kind of abuse has on people, we're almost immune to it. We see this a little bit with road rage, but it's mm. even amplified further when we're behind a keyboard. So basically, I'm not really connecting with the other person's humanity, say, I don't really think about the impact it might have on the other person. And you're not seeing the impact it has when that player, that human on the other mm. end, you know, receives that violent or racist or misogynistic content. Online ha abuse has a way of just gradually beating people down. Sometimes we see situations where there is an avalanche of hate. What I was initially talking to Tanya Hosh about, you know, so many of these players are dealing daily uh, with mm. racism in their real lives. When that amplification and the humiliation and the online abuse is targeting them as well, it, you know, really, really just beats them down. What do you do about the kind of more subtle, I don't even know if it's abuse or not, but there's, there are forms of disrespect online that can be quite subtle. And it's hard for many of us to know what to do about that. It might be an image that hints at something. You know, I recently got something that hinted at aspects of my faith that, that are there to unsettle me. What do we do about that kind of stuff? You know, it's harder. And this is where the education is really important. Um, you know exactly what they're trying to do. They're trying to gradually chip away at your confidence, um, your belief in self. You know, the best advice I have there is to use the blocking tool or the muting tool, depending on what is appropriate. I think of muting like this, when you don't mm. want the person to know that they're actually getting to you, because when you overtly block them, they can see that they've been blocked. But the muting tool is great because you can drown out their noise and you don't have to be exposed to it. And they can keep saying whatever they, you know, whatever they want, and you can go on and continue to live mm. their life. When there is a pattern of abuse, where it, it comes from a particular individual or a group of individuals, that is when we can take action. We're working at serious threshold of harm at a high threshold. So mm. I would recommend to people who are experiencing that, although it's painful, start keeping evidence, take screenshots, report as you go, because chances are, if someone is targeting you, they're probably targeting someone else. And the more signals that the platform gets that this particular user is likely to be problematic, the more uh, likely mm. they are to act. Part of the education is around being an upstander rather than a bystander. So when we feel that it's safe to do so, and we see gaslighting happening, or we see those really subtle forms of um, online abuse or online violence, calling it out mm -hmm. is a really important thing to do. And we've set up the hash, hashtag play it fair online for that reason, so that we can, we can start to build um, a community of support. Mm -hmm. um, and that of course is for when people are playing the game, but we should be doing this in our every way, everyday online discourse. Well, it's crucial for us in our community. Uh, we pride ourselves on speaking to people in the outer and on the outer of society. And so we'll make sure we get around this. 
We'll put it in our show notes as well. Thank you so much for talking to us today. Thank you so much. And just please remember to go to esafety.gov.au for tips, advice, and support, um, but also to report any form of online abuse. Okay, you guys, we've been here chatting for long enough now. Is there any final business? Well, I want to talk AFLW, all right? Awesome. (laughs) It's starting to heat up. We're only a few weeks away from round one for uh, season seven, which is mind-boggling. And last weekend you would have seen that lots of the teams did uh, what they were calling match sim, not quite practice matches, but against one another. And then this week we've got the actual practice matches. So there'll be uh, two games at the MCG, uh, one on Saturday afternoon between Carlton and Melbourne, and then the other with a team called um, Howlthorn Hulks. Have you ever seen them before? Um, That's on Sunday morning against Richmond. All the other teams are playing as well, obviously. But what's been... um, Um, what is so exciting from from my perspective is they flew Richmond to Western Australia to do some match sim. And this weekend, the practice matches, you know, there, there's so much flying around happening and, and it's just showing it such a big investment um, into this part of the preparation, which we never saw before. It was always nice. Melbourne-based, you know, into, into teams in the States. I know Freo would play Adelaide, but, but apart from that, everyone just, you know, the preseason game every year, people went flying around so that's that's just really exciting to see it being taken up a notch um and and we get our first taste of the new teams club captains are starting to be announced some of the the usual suspects with alicia alicia eva meg mcdonald who's who's even she daisy pierce but then i've just seen that the howlthorn hawks have appointed tilly lucas rod as their inaugural captain which is pretty exciting so it's all happening and thankfully we can just forget about all this boys footy business we might have to get those finals out of the way first before we totally forget about it but sure good point pull it off (laughs) and you did mention ash brazel earlier on she did win a gold medal as an afl we love our aflw commonwealth games crossovers how cool is that so congrats to ash for being at the top of her game in all of the games what an amazing achievement and what a great win for aflw as well uh shelly you wanted to acknowledge the extraordinary work of Archie Roach? Yeah, last week we lost one of our greatest storytellers. He was a beautiful man who gave a voice to the stolen generation. You know, their stories had been hidden for many years and he sang the song, he took the children away and gave them their voice and people listened through his music and he's a huge loss to Australia and to the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander community. But um one of his greatest joys was actually lifting the young voices of Aboriginal musicians so that others would hear their voice. And it's his legacy. So I encourage everybody to find, you know, an Aboriginal artist that you've never listened to and listen to them. You know, we've got Thelma Plum, Kid Leroy, Mitch Tambo, the Marindas. Have a listen to Baker Boy. Just keep that legacy going for such a beautiful man. And, um, you know, we mourn him deeply and our love goes out to his family and close loved ones. That's beautiful, Shelley. Thank you. It feels like we're at the end. I feel like there is one more thing to say, though. Go, go, go footy! Footy!
Not the color of your skin. 